Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Addicted Mind podcast. I'm so glad you're here today. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm your host. And today we have a awesome guest, Dr. Evelyn Higgins. She is the chief executive officer and inventor of the patent pending panel utilized by Wired for Addiction. She is a recognized international expert in the epidemiology of addiction. She is a dual diplomat of the American College of Addictionology and Compulsive Disorders and diplomat of the American Board of Disability Analysis specializing in pain management. With 34 years in clinical practice, Dr. Higgins has designated over 16 years to research and development in the science of addiction recovery. And in 2021, she was the nominee for Modern Healthcare's Top 25 Innovators in Healthcare. Dr. Higgins finds herself at the nexus of epigenetics, neuroscience, and addiction. So in this episode, we're going to talk about genes, biomarkers, how they influence our behavior, how they play out in addiction, and why knowing about this part of ourselves is so important in getting recovery and avoiding addiction in the first place. So in this episode, Dr. Higgins shares some of her own personal story and what motivated her to do this work and do this research and understand addiction in the first place. I think you're really gonna enjoy it and get a lot out of it. But before we start, if you are getting a lot out of The Addicted Mind, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. That really does help the podcast get a lot of exposure and it helps people find the podcast. I'd really appreciate it, it means a lot to me. And if you want to continue the conversation online, join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join. All right, stay tuned for this episode. All right, everyone, welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My guest today is Evelyn Higgins, and we're going to talk about biomarkers in addiction, genetics, and the roles that plays in how addiction manifests itself. But first, Evelyn, you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and maybe a little bit about your story of getting into this work and, and wanting to understand this. Sure. So I was practicing in pain management, started 34 years ago, 
in a rural area. And I was seeing a lot of people with the try this, try that method of getting better, right? There was no clear delineated way that was happening. And then 20 years after that, I'm practicing in an urban area and we're still using the same model, right? So that didn't make sense to me. I'm seeing we're behind on using technology in this area of healthcare. And it was kind of a why. Personally, the story gets even deeper than that. I married an alcoholic and we had a child together. About a year after my daughter, our daughter is born, we find out that he's adopted. This was never told to me and or him. Wow. I'm seeing this behavior. And in, in, in reality, he was addicted to more than just alcohol. But that was his main source of trying to get that fix those dopamine receptors we now know about, right? Right, right. Maybe back at the time, we didn't quite understand that all the way. Exactly. I needed answers to why this is happening. I'm walking on eggshells every day, not know who's showing up that minute, that hour. And I'm in the healthcare field, you know? So it's even like, what are we doing here? That made me then go, because I had a child and I was the parent. I was responsible. You know, I'm like, I need a lot of pressure. Sure, sure. I'm seeing this behavior manifest and I know what's happening, but I'm like, well, do we have a genetic link here? What are my concerns? There is modeling behavior after what you see. And then there's nature and nurture. So I studied and, and became dual diplomate, addiction, compulsive disorders. My husband has since passed. He died in early 40s. And I just kind of did the rest of my work to figure out what was the biological relationship to this addiction. Obviously, we have lifestyle choices, but was there something within the physiology that needed to be looked at? And that kind of something in our bodies that really drive this behavior beyond just like you said, I mean, we know trauma and we know things like that definitely impact whether addiction is going to play out in your life or not. But you're looking at these biomarkers. And then I'm just going back a little bit. You also said you're in the pain management field or you were in the pain management field, which I kind of feel like those things are really related. They are totally You know, you look at someone who becomes addicted to whatever the substance is, it's either trying to self-medicate a diagnosed condition, an undiagnosed condition, or a trauma, one, two, or all three, right? Right. So, So when someone is constantly in pain and reaching out, and we're just doing a try this, try that, that doesn't make sense. We're in 2023. You know, we should be using all we have to advance this area of healthcare as well. And it's almost like we stopped, you know, in like 1980. And we just keep on doing the same things, expecting different results, as we both know, that's the definition of insanity. And and kind of, there's an inequity in this area. For sure. Well, you you see that in addiction treatment in general, like you're saying, I mean, you're doing the same model over and over for the last 50 years. And kind of not getting much better results. And when we start to really look at the outcomes, we're like, wow, this maybe isn't working as great as we thought. Correct. And if we see somebody go to treatment once, twice, three times, I mean, I've had people in double digits and more. It's because 
you know, you, you, you learn the tools. We, we consider addiction a biopsychosocial model, but we don't really look at the bio part of it. You know, it's right. retraining the brain as far as behavior goes. But you, when you see someone white knuckling their sobriety, that's because we never looked at the physiology. And that's a tough way to go through life. Yeah, absolutely. And I would imagine your experience, you witnessed that. On a daily basis. I witnessed it on a daily basis. And then, like I said, having a child, that's kind of like, okay, what part of this do I need to be concerned about? Yeah. So let's jump in and start to talk about some of these things that you started to see when we look at the biology part of it. Sure. So I started with looking at neurotransmitters and hormones and seeing what the relationships were there. You know, when we see somebody that's been on an SSRI drug for 10, 15, 20 plus years, first off, SSRI drugs were not meant to be long term. They were for an acute situation. We've now gotten to a, a lifestyle you know, and I am not anti-pharmaceutical whatsoever. There's a time when it should be used. It saves lives. But we tend to abuse them in this country. We really do. You know, Right. We, so people are on these SSRIs just for years. Absolutely. And then I would do labs on these people and say, you've been on an SSRI drug for 15 years. Your serotonin is in the tank. Obviously, that wasn't the problem, but we were diagnosing someone based on vocabulary. You know, right, and what right. if my vocabulary is not your vocabulary? Right. You don't Where have do a clear picture of that. Exactly. Where do we end up with that? So we use objective biomarkers, and that was the first level. And then in end of 2014, beginning of 2015, the technology became available to look at what are called SNPs or single nucleotide polymorphisms. Don't want to get too sciencey here because people will stop listening. What that basically <laughs> means is an error in genetic coding. So we can now look at those things. That's right. recent. So we can start to see these things in, in the code itself. Exactly. That's 2015. That's recent history for a multitude of reasons. One, to have the science get disseminated to clinicians takes time. Right, And then right. for people to learn to think a new way, as we both know, takes time, right? And then Absolutely, we were involved yeah. with COVID. So that became everything that we talked about. And this kind of was on the back burner. So in the patent-pended panel that we created, we included the SNPs in there. Because if there's an error in genetic coding, we have to say, okay, what are we going to do with this? Probably the most exciting part of science today epigenetics right so so let's talk about what what that is what that means for for people out there who who don't know so with epigenetics we now know that here's here's your dna you're born with it boom that's your cards play them out but when we have stressors from the environment within our life they can turn on or turn off those particular snips right those genes right those pieces of genes that so, we have. so right, exactly. So what does that do? That creates what we call aberrant behavior. What's aberrant behavior? Things like impulse control, risk taking, addiction, anxiety, depression. That's the model of an addict. 
Right. right. Yeah, absolutely. So what I hear you saying is that we may have these things in our genetic code, these snippets that may yep. not be functioning or in a way that's optimal. Right. And our maybe our lifestyle, our environment can turn on or turn off these snippets of code, then that impacts our behavior. That impacts yeah. how we show up in the world, whether, yeah. you know, all of a sudden this thing gets turned on and, and maybe we're producing a, a different hormone that promotes more anxiety. Tell me if I'm wrong. I'm just trying no, to make no, sure I understand. No, you're spot and, on. Right? And then now we have anxiety. Now we got to do something about the anxiety, but it's turned on from this gene or that's a piece of it. And, Correct. and now that's influencing our behavior and Correct. maybe influencing our addictive behavior. Correct. And people would even say, you know, I've never seen my what friend, loved one, family member act this way. How come for 30 years they never acted this way and all of a sudden they did? Well, let's look at what's happened in that history prior to where the addiction started. There were stressors from the outside that changed those steps. Right. That turned them on, turned them off to where we then saw that behavior. Right. So having this piece of information is is a big chunk of the puzzle. And I hear what you're saying is that if we're only just treating it from this behavioral perspective and we're not taking into this biological component, we're we're kind of fighting against our own our own biology. Exactly. White knuckling it through life. Right. We've all seen people who are sober, yet they are angry as can be every single day of their life. Because their physiology still hasn't been optimized. And that's a hard right. way to go through life. Right. So you started to find all these markers. Let's talk about a, a few of them like uh, that might be common for individuals out there who are struggling. Like, What are some of the things that you see? Sure. So we, we look at some of the neuropsych genes. We look at some of the detoxification or something called autophagy. Autophagy was only discovered... In 2017, a Japanese physician won the Nobel Prize for discovering this particular gene. We look at that, too. That's kind of the garbage man of your cells. But if you have these neuropsych genes and you've got positive findings within those, and we've got all these other issues creating havoc within your body, you bring in the stressors from the outside, we're going to turn those genes on and we're going to see aberrant behavior. Example, one of the genes, COMT gene, catecholamine methyltransferase. That's somebody that sees the world as the glass is half empty, right? Right. From a gene. That's that's pretty amazing. From a gene. From a gene. And, you know, the, Dwayne, the really cool part of this is you go over someone's labs with them and they are blown away because they could tell me a completely different story about who they are and play Let's Stumper. And I'm going to say, okay, objective findings, boom, bada, boom, bada, boom, bada, boom. This is what's going on. You experience this, you experience that. They're like, oh, my goodness. Can't believe, like, to a T. I'm like, right, because this is subjective information. This isn't us right. using vocabulary words. And, you know, to go back to saying with addictions, you know, we were looking at the behavior modification aspects, that's still equally as important. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. That's what makes this such a complex disease because there's so much to it. Yeah, it adds to that complexity. But what you're making me really think about is this this intersection 
of how our biology and behavior come together. And I would also say our tendency, and maybe this is our history of making addiction a moral failing, you know, this intersection here, like really being able to understand that we are more than our, just our choices. There's stuff going on here that is out of our free will, if you even want to say that. Exactly. And thank you for bringing up that point because I did a, a TEDx talk and, and I say that in there, addiction is not a moral flaw. No one wakes up that day wanting to lose their family, their friends, their job, their home. Nobody. Right. Yet right that's where you yeah. find yourself. It has nothing to do with morality at all. It's a disease. Yeah. And, you know, working in this field and seeing that really that piece of it, I I can believe that so deeply because no one chooses this openly. I mean, you know, why? You wouldn't want to. It's it's so painful and there's so much hurt and suffering that comes from it that that that's so clear to me. Right. But, you know, a lot of people that aren't doing this work or don't understand addiction or don't see it from this perspective, it's easy to jump to, well, they're just making bad choices. Right. You can throw stones easily. You could say, well, somebody has diabetes. We don't say to them, why are you so weak? But if someone struggles with addiction, we're like, why can't you just get over it? Why are you so weak? Why do you make those decisions? That's where all this comes from. Decision making comes from this. Right. And that's that's kind of a, a paradigm shift in thinking right. about how we operate in the world and, and how we exist in the world. And in right. some ways, I think that can be really uncomfortable, too, to think in that way, because it says there are some things I don't necessarily have total control over. Right. And that can be disconcerting. Absolutely. You know, it, it's even how we see the world, how we perceive the world. You know, if you see everybody as a bad guy, it's, right. that's that's what's going on. That's the messages that we're getting. So absolutely, you nailed it, Dwayne. You put all this together. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, I, I want to jump into another part because so we get this information. We see right. it. We start to go, oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. I, I Yeah, this makes sense to me. What do I do with it? Do I have any power to to make any change here? Sure. So the first step is just getting the objective information. Where do we have the problems? What's working less than optimally within you? Because, you know, 7.5 billion people on earth, 7.5 billion different sets of DNA, yet we treat everybody as if they're all the same. That, I mean, I could I could go on about that forever too. But it's, it's okay, we've got this information. This is what your makeup is. What do we need to do? We look at the biochemical pathways and we say, where are we less than optimal? What do we need to do to get to the next step? Example, serotonin. The last step of the serotonin pathway is melatonin. Someone's not sleeping at night. They're also a, a depressed person, right? It's right, because yeah. we don't have any of those steps going along the way. So that's what we do. We get the biomarkers. We say, okay, let's look at these pathways. Here's where we're less than optimal. Here's what we have to support. We use a combination of nutraceuticals, pharmaceuticals, whatever we need for that individual because everybody is different. We look at those SNPs, those polymorphisms, and say, how do we have to support those? Those are That's your DNA. That's going to remain the same. However, we can support them so we don't have the aberrant behavior as a result of it. 
And is this where epigenetics comes in, where you yes. can influence the gene expression Correct. by changing some of the things in your environment or what you consume or what you do, yep. like exercise or or meditation or eating something different even? Absolutely. Yep. That's all part of it. All part of it. What you put into your body and your mind, whether it be thoughts emotions or actual food, exercise. It's all what we're bringing in to us, what we're allowing to come into us. And that's really, I think, going back to like giving some hope here is that we have the power to change that. We have the power to change how we respond to this new knowledge that we can get. Absolutely. I can't tell you the amount of people that when I go over lab results actually cry and say, I'm not crazy, and use that word. Like, yeah. you're not. We just have to, We there's some things that we have to tweak. And that, talk about being a game changer of someone's life, that's going to make everything better. Because as you use the word hope, for the first time, you have hope that this can actually end differently. That's a beautiful yeah. thing. Yeah, that you you have some power here. So what are some of the common genetic markers that you see with addiction? And then what I also want to talk about too, and I think you had mentioned this in your TED talk, is younger people getting this information right. before right. the expression happens. So I want, I want to talk about two of those things as well. Okay. That's the sweet spot. I'll go to the first part first. So, you know, looking at specific um, biomarkers, like I said, the COMT gene, like dopamine, like serotonin, like epinephrine, like norepinephrine, you know, w with depression, it's not just serotonin, it's serotonin, it's dopamine, it's epinephrine, it's norepinephrine, it could be one of those, two of those, three of those, four of those, unless we measure, we don't know, we're throwing a dart and hoping it ends somewhere close nearby, right? right? So that's the first part of it. We look at 85 biomarkers. Wow. So it's a it's complete panel of everything that's creating this, even down to inflammation markers, IL-5, IL-6, because what's going to happen if we have an inflammatory condition on some, something that's already withstanding and turned on? It's going to exacerbate that condition. So it's all of it. 85 biomarkers is what we looked at. The, the second part to your question, the sweet spot, the perfect world for me would be talk, having a young person who we have, say they already know a, a family history or they don't. You know, we used to have conversations in the past like, well, you know, grandpa at the holidays, this is going to happen. You know, right. those, that was the extent of the conversation. Now we know that there's science behind that. So we have these open conversations with people. First, we remove the stigma by doing that. Yeah, saying, absolutely. We all have genes. Let's take a look at them. Yours might be cardiac. Yours might be cancer. Yours happen to be this. So we do a panel on a young person. We get those findings. And now you have an opportunity to say, how do I want to play out my life? I'm telling you, you know, you don't have wiggle room here, right? So right. find something else we call fun, you know, because you're yeah, in an don't, age. Don't do this. 
Exactly. You're, you're at an age where your buddies are going to say, hey, after school, let's go do this, you know, and, and you're of the four of you, three of your buddies the next day say, man, that's a one and done. I don't want to do that again. And you're like, no, I think it'd be fun to do it again today. Right. Right. Like that's they're there in, in your code is yep. and and so many people, uh, you know, that that I've I've worked with through the history of working through working with addiction, yep. uh, you know, they go, oh, you know, when I had that first drink something shifted in me. It was just right. right. It was just right. right. That's, you know, they say it was just, it was just what I needed. And right. it's, you know, and then the other person over there, like you said, goes, ah, you know, whatever. I'm not going yeah. back to that. Yeah. But yeah. their brains are different. Correct. And, and you said it perfectly. You know, people describe it as it was the first time I experienced peace, you know, after yeah. that drink or, or I felt like everything was white. And I was floating on a cloud or I just it was the first time I didn't worry about anything that doesn't happen for everybody. But right. you, you probably right. think it does, because that's all, you know, within your body. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you and if we're not talking about this, then, you know, first off, the person who maybe doesn't have, you know, is struggling with depression or struggling with anxiety, and they don't maybe even realize they're struggling with that, if that makes sense. Like, Correct. I'm so normalized to it that I don't realize I'm actually depressed. Correct. I'm actually anxious. This is my yep. normal operation. And so that's not talked about, right? So they don't right. recognize their own, their own, their own pain in a way. And then, um, then they have this experience of this drug or behavior that all of a sudden takes that all away, which is tied into their biology, which makes them predisposed to this possibility. And then it's kind of, then there it goes, it takes off. Exactly, exactly. In the TED Talk, in that part, I say, consider the connotations of being armed with the facts in your youth of your physiology. Would you make different decisions knowing you had a genetic propensity towards addiction. That's, right. you know, that's, that's all the cards right there. That's all the marbles. Here it is. How do you want to play it out? We still have that free will. Play it out. But if we right. know going into the game, that says, you know what? Let's sit back and think of other things that we want to do with our life because that's not a place you can dabble. Yeah. And, and if you're having discomfort in your life, getting help for that discomfort in a way that's going to uplift your life and, and create meaning and help you through that without going to this this other direction. Because if you go this direction, it's going to be maybe too good, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's going to be yeah. too yeah. easy. And, and, and it works until it doesn't work. Right. Right. Like, yeah, just using absolutely. that example of the first time, it's like, wow, this is great. This works. I found you, you couldn't even define anxiety. And all of a sudden you were not anxious. And you said, this is the best thing there is. I figured it out. Right. And it right. works until it doesn't work. Right. So then I'm, I'm really thinking about how this is personalized medicine. I mean, this is really... Sure. Yep. down to the individual and realizing how unique we all are right. and that in a way if we really want to work on this and really treat this we have to personalize it we have exactly. to get down to who we are and work on it on that individual basis right it's genetic guided precision yeah you know it's we're using these things in so many other areas of health but we're not using it here. 
because we're still stigmatizing and we're still putting people in timeout and we're still saying it's your fault. It's not. It's like, get that support, get, get yeah, like stepping out of that. And, and right. it takes time, like you said, for, I guess, the healthcare professionals, the people kind of in the trenches to catch up to, yep. to the science of it. Yep. Yep. And then disseminate that information, you know, so we're at, we're at this crossroads of a time of this is available. People need to know about it. You know, so thank you for having me on your show because this is a way for people to know that this exists. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and I and imagine just going back to your own journey uh, through this process of why this is so I important, because right. you know when we lose people to addiction and we watch the pain and suffering, it's it's just so hard to see, and you know you want to help them, you want to find a way for them to get better. Right to right. find peace, to move out of that, because it's just painful. Right. And we all know the domino theory associated with that, right? For the individual, it's painful. But for the family, for the loved ones, they just want to shake them and say, stop. Yeah. And it doesn't, you know, we can't. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. And how, how does this, uh, that's a good question, good topic that you brought up. How, how does that help? the family see the person who's struggling with the addiction when they see this from this biological perspective. It's huge. Yep. Because all of a sudden they can see their loved one from a health look, you know, it's right. If, if you needed open heart surgery, would we say tough it out? You know, all of a sudden we're putting science in this and we're saying, wow, you just don't want to have our family every holiday be turned upside down. This is a disease. This is what's happening with you. They get on board with, I understand now. Let's get this done. Let's let's get you the help that you need. And it, it's a sigh of relief in a lot of ways. Also, it makes everyone else in the family say, what's my behavior? And was it just not quite as bad to put me over the edge? But I live that life too. Right. I can see myself in that as well. And I can see like I have my own own stuff. It's almost like in a perfect world, we'd have everybody do this. It would just be standardized care. You're talking my language, Dwayne. It would be because, you know, even if it's just nations worried about the bottom line in dollars, wouldn't your bottom line be so much better if we nailed this in life? <laughs> yeah, at, but that's forward well, thinking. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's way too forward. But you think about, you know, cancers, you think about cardiac yeah. disease, all those other diseases that are as a result of behaviors. Yeah, well, this is this is really exciting to talk about, and we could keep going in, and we could dig into even more detail. But <laughs> I'm glad that you've given us like this this picture and this other idea of how to look at addiction from this other perspective, from the biological perspective, the genetic sure. perspective. So before we wrap up, I I always ask every guest one question, and that's if someone out there is struggling, and you could tell them one thing. What would you want them to know? What would you want to say to them? I would say get these labs done. I really would. Because if you're struggling, I know that this area has not been touched 
with objective information. At best, it's been, as we said earlier, vocabulary. And we may, right. we may nail it, we may not nail it. The pain and the right. suffering doesn't need to continue. Right. Understand the biology of it. Evelyn, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your wisdom and your experience. How can people find you if they want more information about this? How can they get a hold of you? Sure. So our website is wiredforaddiction.com, all spelled out. You can go there. You can you know, go through the website, get in touch with us. As I said, I just did a, a TED Talk, and you can find that on YouTube, The Biology of Addiction, Dr. Evelyn Higgins. Take a look at that you know, and share it with your friends. And if you need help, please, please, please reach out to us. Dwayne, you are a part of being a game changer in this for having this conversation. So I thank you for the work that you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for saying that. I appreciate it. And I'll put all those links on the addictedmind.com so people can find them there. If they don't remember them, they can just go there and get them. And Evelyn, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, all the show notes will be at addictedmind.com. So go check that out. And if you enjoyed this episode, share with a friend. All right. Have a wonderful day. And I will talk to you on the next episode. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.